The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I am very excited to have as my guest, John Renish. John is a visionary and award-winning author and founder of Future Shapers, LLC, a company that forms executive peer groups that focus on conscious leadership, which is a topic that I'm quite passionate about. So, John, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you, Olivia. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, as most of my listeners know, I've worked in the corporate world for many years. What they may not know is I always felt like a bit of an outsider because I had an interest in contributing to the world in a positive way, and early in my career, I didn't really see business doing that. Then I started to see how business, if managed from a higher consciousness, could really have a strong impact in the world. And so that led me to my current research on holistic business practices and the creation of this radio show. So I'm especially intrigued by the concept of future shapers. It feels very empowering. Can you share with my listeners about the concept of future shapers and how its principles can have a positive impact on the planet? Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, the, the model of the executive peer group is not new. It's uh, the, the group Fistage, which used to be called Tech, which used to be called the Executive Committee, started having uh, CEO peer groups uh, back in the 1950s, and they've been very successful. There's thousands of groups all over the world that are either still overseen or hosted by Vistage, the, na- the latest name of the company, or by uh, knockoffs, people that have done done something a little bit different, but uh, I know right here in the Bay Area, we've got a number of Vistage groups, but we also have, at least that I know of, six or seven other groups uh, that are like that. So the model of having a group of executives that are peers of each other, that is, they have similar responsibilities and similar sized organizations, having that as a team to move forward in in your quest is a proven fact. Um, most of those groups that I just mentioned, the purpose is to have that CEO or VP or CFO or whatever, whoever the person is become better, a better performer, that is, get better results, become a better manager, etc. So the twist of your future shapers is the model is very similar. Uh, it's a commitment to meet once a month for half a day every month, but there's a fo- the focus is the members 
all share one aspiration, which is to become more conscious, to become better and more conscious leaders in their work. And the vision that I have for the company is that once we have thousands of members in, in various in thousands of groups, that means that every one of those members is having some impact in their organization. So those organizations are a bit more likely to become conscious cultures if they have people working in them that, that are taking a stand for a higher, a, higher, a higher vision for humanity than what we have right now. Yeah, I, I would actually think it would have an impact on the organization, but perhaps the, <clears throat> the families of the employees and the, the community and, and everything around yes, exactly. it. Yes, exactly. Yes, in our, in our website and in our promotional material, we mentioned that it's, you will not only become a, a better, a more conscious leader in your workspace, you become a better person. Uh, and therefore, a better family person, a better everything. Yeah, this is the nature of being more awake and having your lights on. <laughs> so, so what? How would you describe? You've mentioned a couple aspects of a conscious leader. Can you kind of paint a picture of some of the other aspects of a conscious leader? Um, the, what we're talking about is to be to be more aware of everything, uh, both vertical and horizontal, in terms of uh, impact you're having in the world, impact you're having on your fellow workers, impact you're having on your family, impact you're having everywhere. Be know yourself better, and that that's a that's a lifetime job getting to know yourself. This, I've been doing it for thirty years or forty <laughs> years. Ago. Me too. And, and so it's 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 a job that's never done. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is such a place as enlightenment. It's just the path to enlightenment at some point. Right. But as we become more conscious, it's very easy for us to be very conscious and do our meditations and go to our conscious retreats and have a guru if we have a guru or read all of the books. But well, there's another thing about living life and, and working in your job and oh. doing that more consciously. And so what we're finding is there's a lot of people that may have a mindfulness practice or some kind of spiritual practice where they feel they are getting, they're being satisfied. That part of them that wants to grow and get to know themselves is growing. But they go to work like an automaton and they leave part of themselves at the door when they leave the house. If if they work if they work at home, if when they go to the, sit down at the computer, they just turn off certain parts of themselves. So what we're talking about is bringing the whole person. And mm. basically, if you work for an organization as an employee, which fewer and fewer people are these days, mm -hmm. or even if you're hired out as a consultant, which is very similar to being an employee, except you don't get the perks. Okay. Um, there's a tendency to just kind of slip into that mode because we've been doing it for so many years in many cases, decades in other cases. So it's it's like a reminder that the the entity, the client or the corporation or the employer is actually getting ripped off if you're not bringing your whole self to work because they're only getting a part of you. They're not getting the whole of you. Well, so we're, we're, you used the term holistic earlier and that's, mm -hmm. that's another piece of it is we're looking for uh, people that want to aspire to be fully integrated, holistic people where they are, they see themselves as parts of a whole of humanity, and therefore they're looking out for the best thing for the world and humanity in general, not just uh, their career or their uh, sales figures, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, we've had people that has, have gotten into this increased level of consciousness, and yet, and sometimes they say, you know, I can't change things here, I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a risk you run. I mean, it's a risk you run when you grow. Sometimes you, 
you recognize that you don't belong where you thought you where you've been for a long time, and you have to move on to someplace else. That's a part of growing. Well, and the, around that, I would think if somebody didn't know that they could move to to another position, they might in another company or whatever, they might even feel unsafe bringing that full consciousness to work because it might be, put them at risk. Has have people expressed that ever? Very much a key piece of a future shapers roundtable. The 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 commitment is for one all day foundational retreat followed by eleven monthly half day meetings. Mm. And the bulk of the one day foundational retreat is getting to know each other in the group to a a very unusual level of intimacy. We're not saying take five minutes, take ten minutes. We're taking basically as much time as you want. Uh, so, and not to tell us your CV or what you've done in your life, but what's defined you as a person, mm. which ev- evokes an awful lot of intimacy. And then we'll go around after the group has done this, and people, will, the first people that shared may say, you know, I kind of held back a little bit. Uh. Can I go again and augment my introduction a little bit? And what we end up with is after the first day, is an enormous uh, degree of vulnerability and mm. safety in the group, and that's what that's that's kind of the secret sauce. Yeah, is getting people to feel really safe with each other. They are all in the same boat. They may not work in the same company, mm-hmm. but they all they all have the pressures of corporate life. They all have people to manage. They all have budgets to adhere to, etc. So they all have similar pressures, and they know what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. And now you have a group of trusted intimates. 12 of them or 11 other people plus you have a professional host who's facilitating mm-hmm. so you've got the benefit of a host and a coach as well as the camaraderie and support of the 11 other members so I would imagine these men look forward to these meetings every month where they can men and of, women men and women and men and women sorry you're right um, where they can let their guard down and yeah um, and, and do they come in and sort of sometimes express that they wish they could be more like this in other parts of their life, and then oh, do you help them with that? Of course. That? <laughs> yeah, every every month there's a coaching session. Each each member is entitled to a coaching session with the host between mm. meetings, and that that the host has already gotten from the member how they want to grow in terms of what what growing in consciousness means to them and where they'd like to be in a year. So mm-hmm. he, he basically has his little red book, you know, with every, every member's aspiration in there. Um. What we ask people to do in the check-ins, which is a very big part of every meeting, mm-hmm. is where has your consciousness been challenged this past month? Where have you found it really difficult when you were on an edge and maybe you compromised? Maybe you persevered and you, and you came out victorious. But, but how your shares and your check-ins are re- relative to the challenges and victories you've had as an aspiring, more conscious leader. And quite often that gets into... Uh, emotional challenge, mm-hmm. ethical challenges, uh, but that's the world. You know, that's that's why people numb themselves out to some degree when they go to work. When they are working, is that that's they don't they are trying to avoid those kinds of feelings. And when you when you stop avoiding them, they come up. So, do you find people actually end up sharing about abusive childhoods or ways they were treated that made them either really angry or or shut down? Or I mean, does it get in that? If, if it's if it's part of their life-defining story at the beginning, 
uh, yeah, but we're not encouraging people. It's not a therapy session. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not. It's a support group, but not in the sense that we typically think of support groups. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of enduring, rambling conversations of, of any kind. But, but when you know somebody and you know what they've been through in their life, what shaped them, you know that mm-hmm. they had a, a death of a parent when they were young, or you know that they had an incident at school, and you know all this about every person in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, you you care about that person because it's, it's uh, there's an old saying about how can you, you you if you get to know the enemy you can't really have them as an enemy anymore yeah. when you really know everybody's story it's hard not to love them mm. and and that people that one every group has its own personality and some groups might use the word love some groups might use the word I I really appreciate everybody or something like that mm-hmm. but but it's I would call it love. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. And I guess people who are very triggered, say, by this kind of activity can go and get therapy on the side if they want to. So that Yeah, they, our, our, our hosts don't do, the coaching we do is coaching. It's, mm-hmm. it's executive coaching. It's not therapy. So if, yeah. if, if people need therapy, they um, would be advised to do that. And they could do that in parallel or they could do that instead of. Yeah. It might be that, that maybe you should do therapy first and then then look at joining a, a roundtable group. But depends on the individual. Yeah, because I could see this being about high performance. So you'd want to probably ha- have done some of that kind of work either prior or be willing to really face it quickly. Um, but it just sounds amazing. And I it, so do they actually then, after one year, do many of them just kind of continue as support groups and things? Well, we, we were fairly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't had any... Uh, full-blown groups going for a year at this point. We started a group, what we called our beta group, uh, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And what we asked the, everybody to do is uh, give us feedback at the end of one year. Mm-hmm. You're, our, you're our guinea pigs. <laughs> and they were all peers of my partner and I. And we had a very st- steep learning curve for us that first year. <laughs> at the end of the year, we got all their feedback, which was really constructive and really good. And we figured that was it. That was our beta group. And the group all looked at each other and said, well, we're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> what do you mean? So we've elected, my partner and I, to continue being part of the group, but it's not our group anymore. Oh, wow. We now call it our alpha group, and it's an egalitarian group. So each member of the group takes a turn being responsible for facilitation or, or for hosting it. So that, that's, 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 that's not a, a roundtable in, in the strictest sense of the term. Mm-hmm. We've done other beta groups where we did a foundational. That's where we decided not to do uh, a couple of monthly meetings to get everybody to know each other. That it really would take a day is a better way to do it. So that we, mm-hmm. that's where we came up with the one-day foundational structure as well. Okay. That's great. We have, we have had, in our, in our original group, the Alpha group, we had uh, three people elect to leave. And one of them has come back. Hmm. Um, so we've had two leave the group out of the 12 and we had, we had a perfect demographic. We had five, six men, six women. Um, we were interracial and had a couple of homosexuals. So we had, we had for San Francisco, we had perfect diversity here. That's amazing. So did, um, the people that 
the three people left. She said one came back. Did they leave because it just wasn't serving them? Do you get the sense, or were they being threatened, or did they were there just personal reasons that really? Well, had these people were all peers of ours. So at that point in time, they were all individual, uh, independently independent contractors. Uh huh. Nobody had a job job, and one of them, a woman, uh, took a bank job. Okay. So that made it kind of impractical for her to continue. It, it was another th- reason. Yes, not dissatisfaction. Taking off a half a day every month. Yeah, um, makes sense. And the other person that didn't come back um, also took a job. I just realized that. She also took a job, and it, it, it really – I've never worked for a long time for a corporation myself. Mm. But it really surprised me how somebody with very high credentials – can go to work in a, for a company as an employee and basically is treated like a new kid right out of school. And yeah. no, no days off, no half days. So she just didn't have any time to do it. She had other things that she did on a regular basis as well. So when you when you do take a job inside an organization, it, you, you, it does change your life. I, I call it going into the belly of the beast. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a whole different set of demands. And that's why I think so many people are happy being contractors or consultants or coaches independently. Yeah. Um, but it's too bad the company didn't realize the benefit that they might be um, giving that woman if they gave her that half day off, you know, for, for her be- well, ability to contribute and be productive. I, th- I think we're moving in that direction, but it's, it's probably a long ways off still. Yeah. Because you're, getting, you're not only getting an individual who might be the CEO or might be the the supervisor of that particular employee, mm-hmm. and you might get that person to see the value in it, but then you've got a corporate culture right. that may right. not. And rules and policies. <laughs> and that's that's where people get tripped up. I, I know CEOs that run the company hmm. that are victims of the corporate culture. Wow. Yeah. I mean, corporate cultures are, especially if they've been around for a while, can be really entrenched and really insidious in terms of their influence on people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. So we're just up on a break. And so my guest today is John Rennish. And you can read more about his work and Future Shapers at two websites. One is www.rennish.com. And that's R-E-N-E-S-C-H.com. Or www.futureshapers.com. And also look for videos on YouTube where John is speaking about these topics. And we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. 
Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rudd. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here with John Rennish of Future Shapers, and we've been talking about conscious leadership. So before the break, we were talking about the workshops, the, the peer executive peer groups that John leads and um, how they are helping people become more conscious leaders. And so, John, you've been writing about conscious leadership for years, and I was wondering if you're seeing an increasing interest in the topic among other businesses and maybe in, uh, out in the world in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is yes, and it's a very recent yes. Um, before Google had Google Alerts, I used to search for my, my the term conscious leadership. It might have even been before Google existed. <laughs> wow. Forgetting how new Google is. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the stuff I would see, the first few pages anyway, which is where my attention span would run out of steam like most everybody else's, would be references to the stuff I've written. And I wasn't looking at, at it as, a, as an ego trip. I was looking at to see who else was writing about it or talking about it and if I had any company. <laughs> Largely, there was nobody else there. Hmm. Uh, then I remember a book coming out, coming out that had conscious leadership in the subtitle, although it didn't have much about conscious leadership in the book. <laughs> and that made that got some high, high ratings. And I look now. I just looked the other day because I, I've told this story a couple of times. And I might be, I might be one of the listings on the first page or two in the second page. There's lots going on. And for a while, I was wondering, and I still am to some degree, is it fascination with a topic? Um, do people like talking about it and thinking about it and reading about it? Or is there actually a growing commitment to living more conscious lives and working more conscious, doing more conscious work? Um, I, I'd say that a big factor... Uh, and I'll, and I'll, this is the first time I've said this publicly, hmm. is the advent about three or four years ago, uh, John Mackey at Whole Foods and Raj Sisorda uh, at uh, Bentley, then Bentley, I don't, he's moved colleges now, uh, started Conscious Capitalism with a number of colleagues and friends and CEOs. And um, they obviously had some funding. And that, that's never underestimate the, the uh, contribution that funding can make to <laughs> something getting going. Definitely. So what conscious capitalism has done has brought a lot of people out of the woodwork that were kind of in the woodwork, in the closet, so to speak, about their interest in mindfulness and consciousness and so forth. So the conscious capitalism event, the first time I spoke at one of their events, I think was 2011, back in Boston, or Bentley. And um, 
I noticed now that there's chapters. I've got a discussion going on LinkedIn with two gentlemen, and both of them are starting chapters in their region, uh, conscious capitalism chapters. There's chapters popping up all over the world, South Africa, Sydney, all over the. I, I don't even know the scope of it, but they're all over the place, and I, I attribute that to the uh, entry into the field, you might say, of conscious capitalism and uh, Whole Foods uh, endorsement. Uh, there's another several companies that are that are product the container store is another one that comes to mind. Um, former CEO of Trader Joe's is one of the key players. So there's a number of people in that conscious capitalism, and they do events every year at different locations. Uh, and that's one. Wisdom 2.0 has popped up mm. here in the Bay Area. It started here in the Bay Area, and they've had an event every few years, and they have big crowds, and they're growing like crazy. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, people that are kind of coming out saying, "Oh, you know, you guys are really talking about this stuff." Okay, I want to talk about it too. I was interested in it 20 years ago, but nobody else seemed to be. Interesting. So we're we're there is some momentum. I I, I know that for myself, I've been at this as long as anybody that I know, uh, over 30 years, I guess. I, I I it discourages me a little to do the math sometimes, but it's something like that, <laughs> and. Yeah. And I, I used to, you know, I, I would have colleagues, most of them are still around, they're long in the tooth, but they're still around, mm. and we'd have, you know, we'd have little conversations where they'd come through San Francisco and we'd have coffee or something, and I knew I, ha- I wasn't alone. I knew there were a number of us that were prodding this, this donkey, you know, along the, along the path, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a movement, and it was nice to talk to these people, well, there was some solace and you know, sharing the challenges and all that sort of thing. And none of us would be doing anything else. None of us wanted to go take a day job, but we were all pretty committed to this. Mm-hmm. Now now it's the feeling I have is I'm meeting two and three people a day, I mean a week, excuse me, two or three people that I've never heard of that are doing great stuff. And I'm having Skype conversations with them. I can see their faces. And most of them I, I consider are the real deal. There's a few wannabes in there, but most of them are the real deal. Uh, so much so that I, last year, I, I published an article on <laughs> called Conscious Leadership. What else? But this article, I've written lots of articles over the years on conscious leadership. But this particular article, I decided to include some exemplars. Hmm. So this article has like 34 exemplars from all walks of life, including politics and government, by the way. Hmm. Uh, but media and business, uh, finance, etc., and my partner and I, Tom Eddington is my partner in Future Shapers, decided that it would be a good idea every year to do a yearbook of exemplars oh, and start great. putting it. So every year we'd have like an, an annual yearbook and augment the article with probably some revisions to the article, but as well as adding uh, exemplars for the class of 2014. So I've already up to about 20 people that I've identified that it will feature uh, for, for this year's yearbook. So there are people that, that, as I say, seem to be the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the challenge you have anytime you kind of put somebody up there as an ideal is they uh, like giving somebody an award. Sometimes they, they might do something that's not as conscious as you think they should have done. <laughs> yeah. So that they, might, they might tarnish their image a bit. But I'm looking for people that not, not that they've done a conscious leader, a conscious thing. There's a lot of people that have done something. I mean, you throw enough darts at the board, and some of them are going to stick. So right. if you do enough work around, some of that stuff will look pretty conscious. 
So it's not just that you've done something that appears to be conscious, but that you're consistent in your actions and the way you work and the way you live and the way you treat people. You're consistently acting consciously in that regard. Oh, that's fascinating. And so you've said a lot, and I really want to ask you, because I had this a similar experience back in the early 90s. I started in the corporate world, and I also felt very alone, but I could talk to a few people. And I n- noticed that younger people and sometimes people that were raised in, I worked for a, in data mining for a high-tech bank. So there were a lot of people from Asia and India, and they, for some reason, seemed more open to it. And I've since been to India where it just feels like spirituality is in everything. And so I was just wondering if you have noticed anything around that, that that people maybe from different cultures are more open. I've also heard the millennials want to patronize more socially responsible businesses, so that may be another reason for the growth. Is there anything around age or or culture that you've seen as variations in this? Well, I uh, up until 2009, I did a fair amount of public speaking, and most of my speaking engagements were outside the U.S., and I, I attributed that to the, the listening for what I had to say was, was um, there, there was more listening for what I had to say in other cultures than there was here in the United States. Mm-hmm. A large part of what is driving uh, commerce today, was driving, driving corporatocracy, is, was birthed here. You know, we, 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 we are the designers of the, of the system. And a lot of people thought we were infallible, that we were masters at it until 2008. Uh. I guess they still think we're masters at making money, but maybe not necessarily doing it very consciously. Um, so it, it seemed to me that, and that's that, and that's all made up. That's all in my head. I just figured that there were there were too many sacred cows in this country, so there weren't a lot of people wanting to hear about the the, down, the dark side of capitalism, <laughs> so right. to speak, because we we're champions of it. The other thing that I've noticed in uh, this culture versus other cultures is as soon as you use the S word, social, in this country, you can raise a lot of hackles really quickly. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a fair amount of um, maybe the word's prejudice mm-hmm. uh, about anything that starts with the word social. Therefore, it's socialism. Therefore, it's communism. Yeah. And so that, that that's tripping over our own tongue, so to speak, when we start talking about social ventures or social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you lose people with the first word right off the bat. Or you lose some people. I'm not saying all people. Yeah. Um, So that's another cultural distinction I see with us is that we're we're almost, there's almost a paranoia about um, communism. I guess that's kind of a leftover from the Cold War days. Mm Mm-hmm. like you said about the Indians that have kind of a more explicit spirituality about in their culture, um, there are European countries where it's it's not explicit. It's very implicit, and there's actually um, a uh, suspicion if you're overtly spiritual in some cases, because hmm. they have they have a lot of uh, cult concern, um, cult phobia, I guess you could say. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, there's there's one one of the philosophies that I've written about and I happen to love is from the indigenous uh, Africans, which is Umbutu, mm-hmm. and uh, the Umbutu because I I was 
in a meeting some years ago, and there was a woman there from South Africa, and I said, oh, I just got to ask you this question. How in the hell did South Africa avoid a civil war and rioting in the streets and just lots of bloodshed when the apartheid ended? I mean, that it, it just, you know, it was just a natural. If anybody had a justification for having riots and civil war, that was it. Mm-hmm. And she said it was Mbutu. I'd never heard the, the word before. And it turned out this woman actually was an activist in that whole transition, so she knew something about it as well. But Ubuntu is the the philosophy is that I I'm probably if anybody knows Ubuntu they're probably going to be <laughs> be sure I didn't get this right. But as I understand it, it's that the the the, the person in me lives in the person in you. Mm. You over there is not you over there. You over there is me, still me. Mm. So I am, I am you, and you are me, and we're all one. And it's like, how do you kill that person <laughs> after right. going through that? And yet, that's what we're we're talking about in terms of becoming more conscious, where you recognize that the other individual is not really a separate self. That's a big part of our culture. Is we we've, we've created this culture of separatism, right? You know, brand you, you know, have your own brand and stand out and be the individual, the cowboy, and yes. all that kind of thing. And what we what we need to really solve almost all of our problems in the world is work together. Mm-hmm. And to do that, there has to be this sense of collaboration. Like you aren't separate from me. You're you're like my my arm or my toe or my. You're part of me. We're all yes. part of each other. Well, and one of the reasons for the name for my show, Quantum Business yeah. Insights, is that they're now proving this in quantum physics that we are not energetically yep. separate yep. Um, but I think you're right that especially in this country and especially in some parts of this country we're being this individuality this sort of scarcity you better get yours or somebody else will get it or whatever is is leading to this terrible outcome so I love this idea of Mbutu and um, and just knowing that what we do for ourselves good or bad, or to others, is affecting us. I guess that's what I meant to say. Yeah, what we do to others is really what we do to ourselves, which is... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm, I love it that our science is now substantiating that. Yes. Because we, we cherish science so much. And it's like, okay, now science is even saying that we're all connected. Uh-oh. <laughs> might have to rethink this idea of going over and killing somebody in another country. Yeah, exactly. When, when they are part of me. And I also was interested you mentioned Europe being uh, suspicious and having cult concerns so I I get that one of the things though I've noticed especially in the European countries that tend to be more socialist they embrace a lot more of this stuff they are I don't know if you've heard of holacracy but Mm -hmm. um, Brian Robertson was on my show uh, last fall and I'm certified in holacracy facilitation and that's being so much more embraced in Europe and in other countries. I think now they did get a, I think, is it Zappos? Or one of the American companies has just engaged with I think it, I think it was Zappos, yes. Yes, which yeah. is very exciting. And again, Zappos is a newer company. It's it's more socially responsible. It, it, it sort of, I think, gives you that feel that they care about people as well as profits. So, um it's such a nice yeah it's, it's organizational transformation and changing the culture of an organization it's a lot easier to start your your own company yes. <laughs> and start from scratch with that particular piece of dna 
that you want to be a conscious organization. I had the pleasure of knowing Anita Roddick when she was alive and, mm. and uh, being a friend of hers. And she was just, to me, a, a, a super example of a social entrepreneur who uh, had it right, let's say. But that's an easier task. It's still challenging, but it's an easier task than taking an organization that's, that's got some miles on it, been around for a few decades or a couple of generations, and then and seeing how dysfunctional it is and then trying to change that. That's like trying to get the dinosaur to change to some degree. Yes, and, and there are... It, it still can be done, but it takes a whole mm. lot of intention and a whole lot of skill to do it. It does, and I've worked for a lot of big companies just around data and and just the idea of sharing data has been an issue for companies that were very siloed i see it as sort of the same metaphors the newer companies they get you have to have a single view of the customer that everybody's got to have access but i worked for old old insurance companies and they were terrified of that and i think the ones that are successful now are the ones that have gotten past that but it's it's kind of the same model Um, and it's about to me it's about control and people who have a very high need for control and fear of letting go of it are the ones that struggle the most with this way of leading that makes us we have to be a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more open about maybe you know who we are and Mm -hmm. so um, I think the people I've seen in leadership trainings that have gone from the the hiding to the vulnerability have ended up being so much happier but it can be terrifying when we start the process as I'm sure you know mm-hmm. and the people that have been through it a few times and I'll include myself in that once you've been through it a few times when the terror comes up or the fear comes up you go oh there it is again yes but I've been through this a few times not only did I survive it I'm better off as a result of going through this cubic crucible or this this needle this needle eye of a needle Mm-hmm. And it might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to be better off in the long run because I've been through this a few times and I know it works. Yes, and, and I th- you get you get somebody that's never been there. It could be you know life threatening. Well, and I think it's because this is a, you know a whole show in itself. But I think it's the attachment to the ego that the ego thinks it's dying, and in a way it kind of does a little bit. But then we find out that. It's, it's a good thing to have, but it shouldn't run us, right? Mm-hmm. So then when we get conscious, for me, it's about trusting intuition and, you know, maybe higher guidance or inner guidance. And then I can sometimes override that, that ego that wants to protect me, but not always for my best interest or something like that. So, uh, Do we have a minute? Uh, uh, yeah, we've I, got I, we're up on a break, but take a minute. That would be great. Uh, you said earlier that I lead these round, uh, Future Shaper roundtables. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not quite accurate. Oh. I started the company. We are in the process right now of certifying hosts and training hosts to um, form groups and in their area, wherever they happen to be. Okay. And we give them a lot of support in doing that. But we're, look, we're doing certification uh, trainings on... Uh, p- some people are existing coaches already, and they might even be certified in some other coaching discipline but we're looking for individuals who can start groups that are plugged into networks where they can start groups in their region of the world and uh, that's our main focus right now so my partner is starting a group here in the bay area he just decided to do that about a month ago Mm -hmm. so he's in the process of forming one but otherwise we have a number of people that are out there uh, getting groups going and that's our focus right now is getting these people certified we've got a woman coming from the uk 
uh, in May. We've got another person coming over from Australia in, in uh, August. So at some point in the next three or four years, we expect to be international, which would be great. That's wonderful. And I just wanted to clarify that one thing, that I'm, I'm not leading these. I'm getting too old in the tooth to be doing a lot of round tables. <laughs> I'm so glad you made that clarification because I'm, I'm excited to think that people who listen may actually contact you and be interested in getting certified, which I think would, oh, be, that would, that would be, yeah, be such a satisfying. I'm also happy to send that article on conscious leadership out to anybody that would like it if they want to drop me an email okay. at uh, john at com. Great. And uh, it's a 6,000-word PDF file. Oh, thank you. That would be great. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's take a break, and then we'll be back with John Renish of uh, Future Shapers. You can read more about him at Renish.com, R-E-N-E-S-C-H.com, or FutureShapers.com. And we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here with John Renish of Future Shapers. And before the break, we were talking about conscious leadership and how it seems to be expanding globally. And, um, and there, that John is doing certification for people who want to lead executive peer groups. So please go to John's website or email John. At, his email address is john at renish.com, and that's R-E-N-E-S-C-H. So I, I love the fact that you keep blogging all these great ideas. And um, in one of your recent posts, and I think this applies to people who are trying to be conscious leaders, you wrote about the inner con artist. So what do you mean by that? How can I watch out for my inner con artist? Well, it's the negative ego. It's, oh. it's that part of the mind that... Uh, uh, tries to keep running the show from time to time. I think we all know what we're talking about. <laughs> but there's, the, I like to make the, the, um, the analogy of the, uh, 
the mind is necessary. The ego is necessary. You have to have an ego to get around in the world. There's a there's a few people in my in my opinion mistakenly thinking that you should get rid of the ego altogether, but then you wouldn't be able to find your keys. You wouldn't be able to drive a car. You'd be, you'd be pretty dis- un- unfunctional, not dysfunctional. Yes. But there's there's so the ego is really a kind of a pretty good COO. Mm. You know, they know how operations work and they do a pretty good job of it. But every once in a while, they they wander into the boardroom and sit down in the chairman's job and thinks they're the chairman. Uh-huh. And that's when that's what I call the negative ego. We cover that a lot in our in our certification and and in our content. Roundtables do have some content. It's a lot of process, but it's also a fair amount of content. But we we talk about consciousness, the role of the ego, the negative ego in in that. We talk about paradigm change because that's what we're trying to do is change the paradigm of thought in the world that's so dominant today. And we talk we talk about systems thinking and the impact that systems have on us. Each one of us has probably been influenced by hundreds of systems that we don't even know we're being influenced by and getting an appreciation for that. So those are some of the common areas that we want to have. Uh, everybody have this, the same understanding of what those words mean and what some, inf- some more information about that, those subjects. Um, well, so I was going you, somewhere with this. Uh, yeah, we were talking about the inner con artist, oh, you yeah. know, which it, was, and that was really helpful to give that perspective. So, well, the, 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 you know, the ego starts believing its own publicity, you might say, you know. Mm-hmm. But we all have egos, and the, the responsibility is to not, there's an old tale about the the Indian chief and the little boy, and the Indian chief is telling this little boy that he's got two wolves inside of himself that are always bickering, and one's the good wolf and one's the bad wolf, and the little boy says, well, which one wins? And she, he says, whichever one I feed the most. Mm. And so if we, if we feed the negative ego, uh, it can get pretty powerful, and it's very clever and knows how to trick us and fool us into thinking that this, this is really God talking to me or this is really what I'm meant to be uh, when it's actually just the negative ego doing a nice impersonation. So that's what I call the inner con artist, and it's it's a like we were saying earlier in the show. I think it's a lifetime job of just being aware that you do have an ego. It's there for a purpose, um, and it, it, its job is not to run your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's its uh, job is to remember where the keys are, how to drive the car, and stay in the right lane on the freeway, and that sort of thing. And like you said, it's a lifetime job. So I think if it does trip us up, rather than beating ourselves up, we just say, okay, well, what can I learn from that? And what, how can I notice it a little sooner next time or something? Exactly. Yeah. Like meditating. You, know, you, don't, you don't beat yourself up because you, you got lost in a thought. You just go, oh, I just got lost in a thought. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop that now and go back to my breath or whatever I'm focusing on for my meditation. Yeah, that's why they call it practice. <laughs> that's why they call it practice. Yeah. <laughs> so you also talk about asking forbidden questions. What do you mean by forbidden questions and why should we ask them? Well, this, this is the context for that was in the context of uh, corporate cultures, or not just corporate cultures, any culture. But uh, when you have a culture, be it corporate or community or national or whatever, um, they're each almost all cultures have some dysfunction about them, and part of that dysfunction is that there's certain things you talk about and certain things you don't talk about, oh. um, and that's the forbidden question. 
and there's a lot of people that are working in organizations. If you ever want to get a, a, an idea of what the forbidden questions are, talk to the new employee. Okay. Because they haven't had any exposure to this, the corporate system yet. They walk in off the street or out of school, however they got there, and they walk in. And typically the younger ones who don't haven't worked in another corporate culture where it's pretty much the same. <laughs> but they come in and it's like, oh, you don't do that. Oh, you don't do that. Oh, you know, years ago when I was in high school, I was working in a brewery, and I I got assigned a job of repairing uh, repairing the wooden pallets in the warehouse, and this old timer was there, and I was his helper, and at one point I was a pretty husky kid. Uh, he got finished, you know, hammering nails and repairing this pallet, this wooden pallet, and I picked it up and flew it up on the stack. He says, don't do that. Mm. I says, why? He says, that's a two-man job. <laughs> don't let them see you doing that. And ah. that, that, that was my first exp- experience of, oh, I see. We don't do that here. Um, but that's, that's, you know, every culture has its, its rules. I, if you want it, I can read you a story that's in one of my books. I would love that. And it's 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 great story for how corporate cultures are formed. However, I have to find it first. Well, while you're looking for it, I, I find that so fascinating because it sounds like the, the guy who told you not to, that it was a two-man job was basically trying to protect um, people from having to do more on their own. And, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and that was more important. So in my sense, that means people aren't engaged in making the business more efficient. They're more engaged in just protecting their own position. So Yeah, and this this was a long time ago. I won't say how long, but it was also <laughs> a very union thing because oh. we were members of the union. Uh, this is a, a little sidebar that was in my last book. One of my last, No, this is called Getting to the Better Future. This was two books ago. Okay, here's the story. I got off the internet. I have no idea who created it, so I always have to do that disclaimer. Put five apes in a room. Hang a banana from the ceiling and place a ladder underneath the banana. The banana is only reachable by climbing the ladder. Have it set up so any time an ape starts to climb the ladder, the whole room is sprayed with ice-cold water. In a short time, all the apes will learn not to climb the ladder. Now take one ape out and replace him with another ape, ape number six. Then disable the sprayer. The new ape will start to climb the ladder and will be attacked unmercifully by the other four apes. He will have no idea why he was attacked. Replace another of the original apes with a new one, and the same thing will happen with ape number six doing most of the hitting. (laughs) Continue this pattern until all the original apes have been replaced. Now all of the apes will stay off the ladder, attacking any ape that attempts to, and have absolutely no idea why they're doing it. This is how company policy and culture is formed. That's fascinating. Isn't that great? Yes, and I totally believe it, and I think I've seen examples of it in business. So, of but course, we all have. What a great metaphor! Have. Wow, that's that's great. Well, so you mentioned your books. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your award-winning book. We have about, mm, I guess, five minutes left. Um, but you have an award-winning book, The Great Growing Up. Can you tell us, my listeners, a little bit about that? Well, it's it's uh, it got its name as the publisher and I and, and the sales team was kind of going on and on. And what they were getting from the book is because I do make a call for us becoming more adult uh, as a species. Because you look at all the difficulties in the world, short-term thinking, 
instant gratification, all motivi- motivated by very adolescent kind of goals and ambitions, uh, especially the short-term thinking thing. Mm. And um, it was originally in my in my drafting form. It was called the Adult Society, and then it was called something else. And then they finally came up with. They said something about growing up, and I came up with the title of uh, The Great Growing Up. Mm. And it's uh, it basically the book, I try to identify the, the vision that I, I see the wor- we could have in the world. It's very practical and very pragmatic, mm-hmm. where everybody has their basic needs taken care of, and it doesn't mean the rich have to give to the poor, or that kind of thing. So there's a vision. Then there's all the dysfunction and all the myths. There's a whole bunch of myths that we... We treat as if it's true, but it's not true. It's even proven to be untrue. So there's a section on the myths. Then there's why do we continue doing this, which gets into the adolescent parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the and we it's not only how we act adolescently, but how we tolerate adolescent behavior in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just have to say Washington, and everybody knows what I mean, right? Yes. I mean that's. I'm not sure that they're even up to adolescent. One one of the things that I've done when I was doing a lot of speaking in other parts of the world, I would ask the audience where they thought we were as a species in our evolution. Uh, youngster, young adolescent, young adult, or wise elder. And every time, every time, the majority, the large majority, like 80% of the hands would go up on adolescent. Really? So people people know that we're in that phase of our evolution. So mm-hmm. it's not a question of convincing them that we that we aren't. They know that already. So let's just start acting like adults. Let's start. And the biggest part of acting like adults is demand adult behavior from each other. Mm-hmm. So the biggest sin that we're making in keeping the world dysfunctional is the silence. Yes. Yes. Well, we have about a minute left, but I really want to... I think about this, too, because people think it's kind to let people act like children sometimes in their lives. But I feel that the most loving thing we can do is is let people know when what they're doing feels bad and maybe an adolescent. And then I want people to, t- to let me know when that's true of me, because I do that, too. I mean, we all do at times, but we can only learn about our own become self-aware if we're you know we give good feedback which Mm -hmm. is part of the process honest and authentic feedback wow that's great well John it looks like we're about out of time I want to thank you so much for being my guest today and I'll hope you come back and visit again I'd be glad to I love it had a good time too thank you so Next week, my guest will be Rebecca Costa, and it's so fascinating because it's a perfect segue from this week talking about growing up. She's a sociobiologist who has a very global view of what's happening on the planet, and she's author of The Watchman's Rattle, and this is about the theory of collapse, but she explains how complexity is outpacing our brain's ability to solve problems. And she reveals how we can reverse our course and save humanity. So you will not want to miss this. There will be a full description of the show in a few days, but you can visit all past shows by going to www.quantumbusinessinsights.com. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Have a great week.
Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.